To me, God is the great unknown. I believe in him, yet I find him not. Those words were written in the diary of a missionary by the name of Adoniram Judson. He was a missionary and Bible translator in Burma, and he wrote them in late 1827. It was at the low point of a life which, even at its high points, was layered with sadness. But this particular moment for Adoniram Judson was worse. In the previous months, he had witnessed the slow, tragic death of his wife, Anne, and their infant daughter, not the first that they lost, I would add, and now he just received news of the passing of his own father back in America. And as the news of the last death met him, he renounced his honorary doctorate in theology, he abandoned his Bible translation work, he burnt the letters of correspondence that he had from those back in America at the Bible College, he built himself a hut in the tiger-infested jungle of Burma, and he sat and awaited his own death. God is the great unknown, he wrote. I believe in him, but I find him not. Now, I can't begin to imagine what Adoniram Judson was going through or feeling. Those experiences are foreign to me. Some of you know more of those griefs than I do. But I think we could all see what shook Adoniram Judson's faith. It was the absolutely terrible and seemingly hopeless claim that death was making on the people that he loved, on the world and on his own family. And for all of his noble intentions, death seemed to be winning. And clearly it was causing him to lose hope. So tell me, as a follower of Jesus, do you ever find yourself losing hope? Does it ever feel like death may be winning? Does it ever feel like people who hate God are having more success in life than those who trust God? Does it ever feel like the sin in the world is increasing and not decreasing? Does it feel like the battle is sometimes being more lost than it is won? In fact, if we're honest, does it ever feel like the sin battle in our own hearts is being more lost than it is won? that for every moment of victory there are a string of defeats. If you do feel like that, I don't think you're alone. If you feel like sin and death steal your hope, then I want you to pay close attention to what God has to say to us tonight in these verses from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, which I'll read in a moment. This passage, I think, is a message to us to find hope in the gospel of Jesus. And by God's mercy, I pray that tonight we might be reminded of that great hope that we have in the great enemy, in the face of the great enemy, death. So let me pray to begin. Father God, we thank you for your word, and we do pray tonight that you would speak to us from it. We pray that you would encourage our fearful and longing hearts, remind us of your victory, and strengthen us in a hope that is eternal. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I, I'm one of those people who put together a sermon and then afterwards start to think about what the outline is. So there are three points there, but I may not anchor what I say in those points. We are looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, written by Paul to the church in Thessalonica. In previous parts to the letter, uh, he's written to those in Thessalonica about the time that he spent with them, and most immediately before this, he's encouraged them to live holy and God-honouring lives. Now, 
he deals with an issue that was clearly pressing and disheartening to the believers. And this is it. Death was claiming the lives of Christians. Now, it might seem strange to you that that bothered them because that's something we're fairly used to, isn't it? Death and taxes, as the saying goes, are the only two certainties in life. Three, if you include the fact that whenever you wash your car, it rains. Um, But death is unavoidable, and we're pretty familiar and comfortable with that idea. Death comes to all people. So what's the issue for these guys that they seem so shocked that Christians are dying? You see that that's the issue. Have a look at verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. It seems that the people in Thessalonica are uninformed about death. And Paul doesn't want them to be uninformed about death. They were clearly lacking some understanding. So what is it? Now, you get a sense of what Paul's going to say, I think, from the outset by his choice of words. It's interesting that he doesn't actually say those who have died. We don't want you to be uninformed about people who have died. He says we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. I don't think it's a nice little euphemism because he's scared to say people who have died. I think he's saying it for a very good reason. Jesus used the same expression himself, as a matter of fact. If you recall, on his way to Lazarus's tomb in John 11, he says the same thing about the daughter of the man that he meets in Mark chapter 5. She is sleeping, Jesus says. People laughed at him for it. And here, Paul says, those in Thessalonica, followers of Jesus who have died, are sleeping. The issue that the Thessalonians have is that they're worried that those who die before the Lord Jesus returns are going to miss out. That's what they're worried about. They clearly understand Jesus' teaching that he will return for those who are trusting in him. And so those who've passed away before Jesus' return, they're now thinking, why are they going to miss out? What's going to happen to those people? Are they going to miss out on the new creation, on reunion with Jesus? They seem to think that only those who are alive when Jesus returns will enjoy that future with him. And so it seems to them that death is the great enemy of their hope. Now my guess is that for us, living when we do, that's never been something that's bothered us. We are quite accustomed to the idea that those who pass away, trusting in the Lord Jesus, go to be with Jesus. Probably because of passages like this one, which give us some clear teaching on it. But the point that Paul has is an interesting one. Don't be uninformed about death. Eschatology, the theological word for what happens at the end of things, actually matters. Why? The second half of verse 13 tells us why. Because we don't want to grieve as those who have no hope. If we are uninformed about the realities of death, in Jesus' view, well, then we are going to grieve the wrong way. We're going to grieve as those who have no hope. So it's especially important that we understand the realities of death. Now, since I started with a little bit of history, here's another one. In 1899, a man by the name of Colonel Robert Ingersoll died. I doubt that any of us have ever heard of him. He was a Harvard lecturer. I could be wrong. He was a Harvard lecturer who gave lecturers refuting Christianity back in 1899. Now, when he died, his wife insisted that his body remain in the house. Sounds like a psycho movie, doesn't it? She wouldn't let them 
remove his body. She would not let them take it away. She insisted that his body stay in the house and it was only when the health of the family members still living in the house began to be threatened by the presence of this body that she finally allowed them to take the body away and have a funeral. They reported at the time in the newspapers that the funeral was an incredibly tragic scene of dismay and despair because of Robert Ingersoll's wife's grief. That's normal. My guess is if we could go back and ask Robert Ingersoll's wife what she really wanted, it's obvious what she would have said. She wanted her husband back because death had stolen him from her and she refused almost to accept that reality. Death for her and for us seems to be the enemy of hope. And Paul says, if we are uninformed about death, then we will grieve without hope as Robert Ingersoll's wife grieved without hope. We live in a fallen and difficult world. Death is unavoidable. The effects of sin seem unbearable and at times unbeatable. And I think that we too can find ourselves losing hope, which is why we should read on through this letter. Because what follows is the understanding about death that Paul says we need if we are going to grieve with hope. So what does it say? In verses 14 to 17, Paul says that there is a hope for those who die in Christ. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep, there he goes again, in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So what's the key to having hope in the middle of our grief? It is this, to know that those who sleep in death are not lost to Jesus. They may be lost to us, but they are not lost to Jesus. The Bible teaches, in fact, that those who have died are resting in or with Jesus. I'm not talking about some kind of idea of soul sleep here. Jesus speaks to the dying thief moments before he dies on the cross, and he says, today you will be with me in paradise. Those who die in Christ are not lost to Christ. They are with Christ. That's the first thing Paul wants to point out. They are not lost Jesus says, today you'll be with me. Not when you wake up 300,000 years from me, now you'll be with me. Today you'll be with me in paradise. So here's the first thing. Death for the believer is sleep in the sense that it's temporary. I think that's what he's getting at there. I I go to sleep at night, it's hopefully a temporary thing. Sometimes it's too temporary. I'll wake up in the morning. Our souls pass through it. We will be with Jesus immediately after death. But Paul's saying more than that here, I think. He's explaining that there will be a real, physical and final resurrection for those believers in Jesus. If you ask some people what they're most looking forward to in the new creation in heaven, they will tell you that it's to see their loved ones again. Now, I am looking forward to seeing loved ones that I've lost again in heaven. I, are, I am, and sometimes I think I feel bad about that because I think, well, really what I should be looking forward to is being 
with Jesus. Now that's true, but that doesn't mean we can't be looking forward to seeing those who are departed. I think Paul's indicating that here. Look at this. To a people who are grieving those whom they've lost and fearing that those people are going to miss out, that they might never see them again. And Paul says, with a loud command, the dead in Christ will rise first. And not only will they be there, they will receive new, imperishable, glorified bodies. It says in 1 Corinthians 15 that the uh, that which is sowed in dishonour will be raised in glory or something to that effect. The body buried, ravaged by disease will be raised in glory. They will be there. And they will be there with new and glorified bodies, which is good news because sometimes our last memories of those that we love most dearly are not the most pleasant. It's not the way we want to remember them. They will be raised in glory. I think sometimes we miss that idea in our thinking that the resurrection will be real. It will be physical. As one theologian put it, we're talking about life after life after death. It's not just that we're going to exist in some sense. We will have new and transformed bodies through Jesus and we'll be with those who have died in Christ. And Paul's certainty for this comes because he links it with Jesus' own resurrection. Have a look at verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. That little expression comes through in the ESV there, even so. What it really means, in this way, in the same way that Jesus was raised, we will be raised. Those who die in Christ will be raised. That's what it says. And the key ingredient is Jesus' resurrection. It all hangs on that. It's why we celebrate it. That's why we remember it. Jesus rose. That is the guarantee that we and those who die in Christ will rise. Don't forget it. Because of Jesus' resurrection, we have confidence in our own resurrection, which will be real and glorious. Now, I spoke about the enemy of hope. Here, Paul is presenting the eternal hope, that those who've died in Jesus will be raised with him. They will not miss out. Now, the next part of the passage deals with some of the hows and whens of Jesus' return, and they, these verses have been the subject of quite a bit of theological squabbling over the years, and I'm not going to go into much of it. If you're around in the 70s and 80s, you uh, might recall the popular series of, called Left Behind. Anybody remember those? The Left Behind series was this idea that a, a rapture was going to happen, similar to Infinity Wars, come to think of it, where people would just suddenly disappear. And those in Christ would suddenly be snatched up and gone. There have been movies that have traded on this as well. The idea is known as a pre-tribulational rapture, and some draw it from this passage, that the idea that when Jesus returns, believers in Christ are just going to be snatched out of the world. There was a movie about it in 2014, and it was a terrible movie. Not necessarily because of the theology, it was just a bad, bad movie. Uh, the thing that Paul's teaching here is this. I think we've got to sometimes with these passages put aside what it might or might not be saying and look at what it certainly is saying. So what is he saying? That the Lord Jesus will come and his coming will not go unnoticed. I don't think you can read this passage and think Jesus is going to sneak back into the world and take people with him and nobody's going to notice. Look what it says. He will return, the dead will be raised, and with a loud cry, the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. Trumpets are loud at the best of times. Imagine God playing one. Right? I don't think it's going to be unnoticed. 
And those who have put faith in Jesus will be caught up in the air. It's hard, honestly, to see, in my view, how you could read this and think that it's describing the silent disappearance of people. Now, for the record, however, I know Christians of courageous faith whose love for Jesus puts my own to shame who differ with me on this. I don't think it's a central point to faith, but I do think we should draw something out. Jesus is going to return, and he will return with victory. Those words, caught up, you see them there in verse 17, those who are left will be caught up together with them, uh, used elsewhere in the Bible and at that time to describe a ruler claiming a victory by force. Uh, It's used in John 10 when Jesus talks about a wolf violently snatching sheep. I think it's saying Jesus will return with forceful, triumphant and unstoppable force. It won't be a quiet and unnoticed affair. When Jesus comes back, we will notice it and there is nothing that will stop his return or the resurrection of his people. That's Paul's message for these guys. Don't worry, nothing can stop God raising his people. God rules over sin. He rules over death. He rules over the things that rob us of hope. In Revelation, he says, I am coming soon and we can bank on it. Now, I want to draw together some threads and look at, okay, if this is true, what is the effect of this for us? What does this actually mean? This passage says to us that we need to have a proper understanding of death. Why? Because if we don't, we are likely to grieve without hope. I think what we need to understand is that death is not the winner. That's where this hope in the passage lies, I think. We look around us and we are all too often inclined to lose hope. You wonder how long you can survive in an employment situation where everybody else seems to have abandoned their integrity and you're trying to hold on to it. And we can find ourselves losing hope because evil can seem to be winning. Maybe you battle an illness that just seems to linger or worsen, whether it is physical or emotional, and you begin to lose hope. Maybe you are grieving the lost right now. I don't know the situations that we have in this room. And the pain, however long ago it was, is still there. And we are tempted to lose hope in the face of death. Or maybe you live in the shadow of death as somebody near and close to you is nearing their end. And perhaps it's a sad and a painful end. And we are tempted to lose hope. Or maybe you yourself are feeling the process of ageing and reflecting more than ever before that that time is coming, as it will for all of us. Maybe more than ever before you're conscious of it and you begin to lose hope. I don't know. But I do know this, that sin and death will rob us of hope unless we remain rooted in the eternal hope of the gospel, which is that Jesus rose from the dead, conquering sin and death. And as he did so, our future's changed as well. Our future is changed because of Jesus. And there is nothing that sin or death can claim from a believer. I want to say that again. There is nothing that sin or death can claim from you if you are a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ. That's the truth. Not in the end. Paul writes in Romans 8, 
The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. It's in Romans 8. Now, I mentioned Colonel Robert Ingersoll a little bit earlier. Somebody else died the same year, whose death was very, very different. The great evangelist Dwight Moody, whose impact upon millions of people, including Billy Graham, could well be, incidentally, the reason some of us are in this room today, even if you don't realise it. An extraordinary man of God, who was used mightily for God in the saving of many, many lives, Dwight Moody. Worth reading about his life. Now, as he lay on his deathbed, Dwight Moody, drifting in and out of consciousness, at one point he was heard to say, Is this death? This is not bad. There is no valley. His daughter, Emma, came to the bed and she began to pray that her father would recover. And, and Dwight Moody stopped her midstream. He said, Don't pray for that. God is calling. This is my coronation day. I've been looking forward to it. Friends, we have a hope that death cannot claim. It is secured by the blood and the empty tomb of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we sing, as those at Dwight Moody's funeral sang, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? We look at death and we may grieve it, but we do not grieve it without hope. The last verses of this passage give a little bit of instruction and encouragement. What awaits us is an eternity with the Lord. We will always be with the Lord, it says at the end of verse 17, and then verse 18, therefore encourage one another with these words. Eternity has begun for us. For all we know, as a matter of fact, we could be the ones who are still alive when Jesus returns. I don't think about that enough. could be tonight. We could be the ones who are caught up in the air with him. It could be in our lifetimes. But whether it is or whether it isn't, death cannot rob us of anything. And so Paul's instruction is, encourage one another with these words. I hope today, as we've opened this passage, we've done that. But the instruction is, encourage one another. Encourage one another. We know, when we know that, that one of our own members of the body of Christ is grieving, whether it is death or something else that is robbing us of hope, Let's look for the opportunities of speaking the words of the gospel into their lives with love and with confidence. We do not grieve without hope. Is there someone that you know whose hope is hanging by a thread? Encourage them with these words. Could these verses and the remainder of the glorious hope of our own resurrection be of encouragement? If so, let's be a community that share that. Let's be a community that are regularly sharing the hope of eternity and the resurrection with one another, especially in the face of death. might even be that there's someone in your life at the moment who doesn't believe and is seeking hope. I talked a little bit about that in the interview. You know, death is a great leveller and there is nothing that will shake a person's confidence in this world and the things of it than the reality of death. Sometimes, as somebody asks those questions, they are our most valuable opportunities as believers to say, you know, as a follower of Jesus, I still grieve death, but I do have hope. We can tell our own story in the face of death, and from it, God might well speak that hope into somebody else's life. You know, in the end, Adoniram Judson, the Burmese missionary, his hope was restored through an extraordinary series of events, but he saw through tears that God's 
promises were glorious even in life's darkest hours. He came to accept and remember that. Which I think is a fitting point to end. As we consider the hope of eternal life in Christ beyond death, which this passage discusses, there might be a more simple response for some of us. There might be. And the question is this, is that the hope that you know? More than anything else, someone asked that question. Is the kind of hope that Paul is speaking about here in the face of death, in the face of life's grief, is that a hope that you know? Because it's a hope that Jesus holds out for those who put their faith in him. And if that's not a step that you have taken, then today would be a magnificent day to take that step. The effect of a hope like this should be our encouragement as we remind one another of the hope of the resurrection of Jesus. And as the redeemed people of God, we have a hope which is untouched by death. As we talked about earlier, I've, I've been really deeply encouraged by that in recent months, facing the difficulty and the sadness of death. And I would add, incidentally, and Peter sat through these as well, but I've sat in situations where death has been grieved without hope. And as a follower of Jesus, what, what you long to do in a situation where those are grieving without hope is to stand up and shout from the rooftops that death has been defeated for those who are tied to Jesus. Let me pray. <laughs> Father God, we thank you for this passage. At one level, it is a simple one, reminding us of a truth that we know but we also know that knowing it in our heads is not the same as, as believing it in our hearts. And so we pray tonight that you would continue to encourage us and inspire us by the reality that Jesus' resurrection has changed everything for those who are tied to him. Our Father God, we thank you that our future is tied to Jesus only by your grace. All you ask us to do is trust. And so we pray tonight that you would renew our trust, grow our faith and deepen our confidence that there is nothing in this world that can steal anything from us who are in Christ Jesus. We pray it in his name. Amen.